We all need food to survive, but the way we produce and consume today is not sustainable nor healthy. We looked to science to find the answer, but got surprised. There was no clear answer on what a healthy diet from a sustainable food production really looked like. This is why EAT gathered 37 of the world's best scientists to get a definitive answer on what a healthy and sustainable diet looks like for all. Their joint result is the EAT Lancet Commission, not just a scientific report. It is a blueprint for a better and more sustainable future. It will have fundamental implications for how we produce, distribute, consume and waste food. Nothing will ever be the same again. The good news is that it's possible to feed healthy and sustainable food to a growing population. But to get there, you could argue that we'll have to question everything we know about food and learn how to eat again. I'm Dr Hazel Wallace from The Food Medic. And I'm Dr Sandro DeMeo, CEO of EAT. From the studio in London, we aim to translate the Eat Lancet findings into everyday actions to you, our global audience. This is the Let's Rethink Food podcast, a collaboration between Eat and The Food Medic. The Eat Lancet Commission recommends that we need to half our food loss and waste in order to feed a growing population without killing our ecosystems. But how? Every tonne of food not wasted corresponds to land not converted, greenhouse gases not emitted, or cubic metres of water not withdrawn from river systems. Every litre of water saved protects the integrity of the water cycle and our oceans. Around a third of all food produced is lost or wasted. In fact, food waste causes an economical loss of $940 billion each year. Having our food loss and waste could, if globally achieved, reduce the environmental impacts by up to a sixth. In today's episode, we're joined by environmental activist Jos Bakker explaining the positive outcomes of living more sustainably. We're also joined by Emily Van Popperang, co-founder of Oddbox, a company that delivers boxes of ugly-looking but delicious-tasting veggies and fruits to families and businesses across the UK. And of course, the zero-waste entrepreneur Lauren Singer, live from New York, who's inspired hundreds of thousands of people to change the way they eat and consume. The question is, how do we get millions to see the importance of food waste? First up, Yoast, one of the most inspiring entrepreneurs in the zero-waste movement. He's been designing buildings, homes and restaurants with no-waste philosophy. Yoast, you've been doing this for over a decade now. What inspired you to begin your journey towards zero waste? Well, it started when I was very young. I already had visions in my head of buildings covered in soil. So I grew up with a dad that was obsessed with growing his own food and, and my parents were obsessed with making food from scratch and it was actually in my father's veggie patch. I would collect old pipes and delfware, glassware, unusual fragments, that some of them hundreds of years old. And it was when my dad explained that farmers you know, hundreds of years ago would, you know, grab manure from city streets to bring nutrients back to the soil, to bring life back to the soil. So from a very early age, I understood how important that was to growing good food. And in the early 90s, when I started as a florist, I was just shocked by how much waste restaurants were producing. You know, I was entering restaurants through the back door. Yeah, could not believe the waste that was being generated, and especially in the early 90s. And seasonality wasn't a thing. 
you know, stuff was being flown from all over the world. And it, yeah, it just shocked me because that's not how I grew up. That's not how my parents taught me. So from that moment on, I became determined to change people's ways and started creating art around this and uh, sculptures and installations and provocative works and quickly built up a name. And then when I had an opportunity to actually do a restaurant, and that was about uh, 10 years ago, I decided to show that a restaurant could exist without generating any waste. And that was the greenhouse. And then from then on, did other projects where we actually made food from from waste. So That's incredible. Yost, take us back to the 90s. So you're a florist, you're entering, as you say, the kind of behind the scenes of a restaurant. Describe the types and amount of food waste. What was being wasted? Uh, Yeah, it, it was unusual to make a menu around seasonality you know you would have asparagus in the middle of uh, summer or in in autumn and you know because they were flown in from all over the world or you would there was no thought that went into a menu based around what was actually around and the offcuts of meat and the way that those ingredients were used was shocking and I just couldn't get my head around it and it took me a while and it actually really inspired me to start my work as an artist I just became so angry about it and actually and not only that, not only food waste, but also environmental waste and material waste, and especially the you know the eighties and and nineties. It was a, a time where that was just wasn't considered really. In the late nineties, it became really bad, I think, and it wasn't until the mid two thousands that it changed. And Yost, you've mentioned that there's quite a few businesses now or restaurants that are looking towards seasonal eating and also nose to tail dining, and bringing it back to using the whole animal or the whole vegetable. What are the best businesses in this movement and what can we learn from them? I think that Dan Barber is probably the person in the world that is doing more than anyone else, mainly because he is going to the next level. He's actually looked at how, how do farmers bring nutrients back into the soil. So what crops do they need to grow? Whether it, you know, there might be nitrogen fixing crops like um, beans or broad beans or peas or a green crop like oats. My favorite dish is the risotto that he makes out of, you know, half a dozen different, different grains. And those grains are all necessary for a farmer to bring nutrients back into the soil. So what I love about what Dan's trying to do is he's trying to make those ingredients cool. And it could be something as simple as a squash or, you know, one of my favorite things is that recent dinners in New York with the ice cream made out of pumpkin seeds. I mean, pumpkins are one of those things that are often grown on soils that are totally devoid of life and and have got no nutrients left. So he's made like this incredible dish out of pumpkin seeds or squash or, you know, and, and yeah, because the thinking is so deep. That's where we have to go. We can't just take the eyes out of the crop. We've got to we've got to really work with farmers and actually be able to take everything that they're producing. So next up, we have Emily, the co-founder of Oddbox, a company started to reduce food waste and loss. Emily, so glad to have you here with us today. So we're really interested to know why did you start Oddbox? Yes. So initially, I'm from France, and uh, after living most of my life in France, I moved to India and then a few years after that ended up in the UK. Mm. When I started shopping in the UK, I was quite amazed by the fact that you could find every fruit and veg available all year round Mm. and everything looked 
perfect. Mm. But nothing really seemed to taste as good as what you can find in local markets. And the idea of Outbox came when we went to Portugal on holidays. And there we would visit the local market every morning to um, do our shopping. And we found these amazing tomatoes, which looks absolutely ugly, with lots of cracks, but were delicious. And then I thought, why is it that in the UK I can't find produce like that, which really tastes good, but also looks real? And so I started doing a bit of research, and that's when I came across the, some of the statistics that you mentioned about the amount of food that we waste and the fact that on average we waste 30% of all the produce that we grow, and that's worldwide. So mm. it's both in developed and developing countries. Yeah, it's shocking. And I have to say from my own personal experience, I have tried the odd box and I loved it. So last week, my first arrived full of parsnips and oranges and bananas and beautifully looking um, odd shaped kiwis. Um, <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. Yes. And, and so last week we had some three heads kiwis. So that's something that... Uh, three, three-headed kiwis. Yes. I'm, not, I'm sorry, as an Australian, I'm not even going to make that joke, but, <laughs> but keep going. So uh, that's something that uh, I had never seen mm. anywhere before. And what does it taste like? Uh, it's got exactly the same taste. Wow. Just that you get three times yeah. the amount of one kiwi. So huge. So much more vitamin it. C. I love it. And it's so true because, Emily, I lived in Geneva until just a, a few months ago. And every Saturday morning, I used to go across the, the border into France and go to the weekend markets and, and the same in central Geneva. I mean, these fantastic markets that were not for the rich. They were for everyone. They were a practical, affordable part of everyday life that you would go. And in fact, I found for you know a handful of euros, I could buy if I stuck to what was in season, what was abundant, what was fresh, what was cheap, I could buy fruit and veg for the entire week. Yeah. But I've now moved to Norway and it very much resonates with what you're saying and similar to growing up in Australia. You know, everything is perfect. Everything is available all year round. And very many of the things we buy, particularly the tomatoes, yeah. they <laughs> taste like nothing. Yeah. Why is it that we have such stringent specifications around what things look like in our supermarkets and, and they come at such a cost to taste? Yeah. yeah, so there's two reasons. So in the UK, initially, it was something that the EU implemented in uh, 1994, to ensure the same level of quality across all the sh shops and all the supermarkets, and which really specified not only the quality, but also the size, shape, color of the different produce to ensure quality, ripeness, and uh, similarity in the produce. That regulation got lifted in 2008, but despite that, supermarkets have continued to use the same criteria. There's another reason, which is in terms of packaging, because we use so much plastic packaging for everything. Basically, when people buy a bag of carrots, they will look how many carrots are there, mm. and they will choose the bag where there's more carrots. Mm. So to ensure that uh, it's the same weight in all of the bags, it's easier to have all the carrots of the same weight and the same length. Similarly, uh, cucumbers are all clean wrapped. The machine to wrap the cucumbers only takes straight cucumbers. So in our boxes, we get what is called as curly cucumbers. 
Oh, wow. The ones which are slightly curvy, basically. And, and, and oh. my parents have a farm and big vegetable garden, and I can say I, I do notice that the veggies, the, the cucumbers are often very curly, yep. depending on the light or the weather. If there's lots of water, they grow in an odd direction. And very often when we go to the supermarket, we think, oh, they must have found a way to grow cucumbers that only look like this. But actually, that's not the case. So the others are all just thrown away. So they do. So uh, 95% of the cucumbers, they manage to grow them almost straight, but there's always a percentage of cucumbers which uh, are, might not be as long or as straight. And yes, these get thrown away. And it's the same for bananas and tomatoes yes. and pears and avocados and watermelons and corn and everything. Yes, it's the same for everything. And that's why, wow. depending on the produce, sometimes for more premium produce, it's only 10% waste, like strawberries, raspberries. But for things like carrots, potatoes, it's up to 50%. That's wow. crazy. And when it comes to wasting food, not only are we wasting a lot of money, and like you said, we're throwing away really delicious fruits and vegetables just because of how they look. What is the environmental impact of all of this food that we're wasting? Mm. Yeah. If we take the example of bananas, so how much water do you think it takes to grow one banana? A hundred litres. Ten, ten litres. You were right the first time, that's 100 <laughs> litres. So it takes 100 litres to grow one banana. 100 litres? Yes. So 100 milk cartons of water yes. to grow one banana. One yes. banana. Wow. So that that's insane. And so just by reducing the food we waste, we can solve the issue of climate change. Mm. And so uh, it's said that food waste is the third largest emitter of uh, uh, CO2 mm. after the US and China. Well, yeah. So that's the amount Huge. of... Yes. I've heard that statistic. So if you put all food waste together, the amount of greenhouse gases emitted for food that's never eaten, yeah. if that was a country, it would be the third last largest emitter after the USA and China. Yes, that's, that's correct. That's incredible. And so... That's the environmental impact. There's also a huge flip side of food waste. There's so much still food poverty uh, mm. in the world. Yeah. And it's also the case in the UK. So in, in the UK, there's uh, one in four parents who can't afford to feed their children on a regular basis and need to uh, get access to food banks. So we're such a developed country, but at the same time, there's so many people who can't afford to eat food and can't afford to eat nutritious food on a regular basis. Mm. It's incredible to think that, you know, there are 800 million people across the planet that go hungry every night. And as you say, one in four in the UK that are, that are food insecure. Yeah. And yet we throw away a third of food globally and f up to 50% of incredibly delicious, nutritious foods like carrots and potatoes. Yeah. What can we all do? Obviously, I uh, unfortunately, I don't think you deliver Oddbox to Norway just yet. yet. No, <laughs> we'll have to talk after about how we can change that. But in the absence of being able to log on and sign up for Oddbox, what can we do as consumers in our everyday lives to reduce food loss yep. uh, happening at the farms, but also food waste in our own homes. Yeah. So there's a big proportion which is wasted on the farm, but the highest amount of food waste happens in our homes. 70% of the food wasted is food wasted in our homes because uh, we buy too much, because supermarkets will have uh, buy one, get one free promotions mm. or like bulk uh, buys. So it's 
about being really aware of what we buy on a regular basis. Once we buy it, never wasting it, considering that just throwing one banana is 100 liters of water, which is thrown in addition to the land, to the transport, to all the labor, which is in addition to the water. It's about kind of using, doing things like freezing mm. food, which is going out of date. It's about uh, making banana bread with bananas, mm. being creative in how you use produce and how you cook and reconnecting to kind of uh, really the produce and, and making something of the produce. Zero Waste entrepreneur Lauren Singer is joining us today to talk about the challenges ahead and give us the motivation we need to stop wasting. Lauren started her Zero Waste life back in 2012 when she was studying environmental studies in New York. Today, she is maybe one of the most well-known faces of the Zero Waste movement. It wasn't actually until my senior year of college when I was in a class and saw a girl who would come in every day. It was the last class trip to take as an environmental studies major. She would come in and eat her dinner every night out of a big plastic bag. She'd have this plastic container full of food and a plastic fork and knife and a drink packaged in plastic and a bag of chips. And she'd eat everything and throw it away. And I would think, you know, this is really weird. Like you suck a lot because we're here studying environmental science. And you know, you're, you're making all this trash, what you're doing isn't aligned. And, and I don't understand. And I would judge her really harshly and, and kind of get mad at her and give her like evil eyes. And then uh, went home one day after class and started to make dinner and noticed something that I had actually never seen before, which is that everything that I had in my refrigerator was packaged in plastic, my milk to my greens and all of my kitchen utensils. And then I started looking around my entire apartment and it seemed like every single thing was made out of plastic from the packaging on my cleaning products to the packaging on my beauty products, some of the ingredients in my beauty products. And then going into my closet, you know, with fast fashion, most of our clothing now is made out of synthetic fibers. And I realized, oh my God, I had been judging this girl so harshly for for using packaging that was made out of plastic, but literally I was smothered in it. And mm. the thing that was worse about that is that, you know, I was so hypocritical because I had been spending the past at that point two years protesting the oil and gas industry. And plastic is one of the biggest products of that industry. So I realized that, you know, I had to make a change in my life um, and I had to start reducing plastic if I wanted to actually align my day-to-day life with my values, which is how, you know, I started getting into the zero waste movement because I realized very quickly that I couldn't just buy my way out of plastic. You can't just go into a pharmacy and buy your whole beauty routine without plastic. And you definitely couldn't back then. Um, So I realized I just start making a lot of my own products. And that's when I learned about the concept of zero waste and became obsessed because it was the most empowering thing I had ever learned how to do. It showed me that as an individual, I could take personal responsibility for the way that my world looks and make conscious choices in my everyday actions to reflect a more sustainable future that I, that I truly wanted. And so Lauren, when you say you're zero waste, do you mean literally zero waste? I haven't sent anything to landfill in over six years now. Wow. Yeah. And is it true that you keep all of your your waste in a tiny jar? (laughs) (laughs) 
It is true. <laughs> wow. So for people who want to reduce the amount of waste, now, I mean, you are incredible and you're totally inspiring that you, you are completely zero waste. But where do we start? How can we start reducing in our everyday lives? There's so many different ways to start reducing waste. And there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all solution to reducing waste because everyone's different. We live in different places. I mean, look at this Look at this podcast. We're in multiple countries right now. And so it's easy for me, might not be easy for you. Mm. So what I like to suggest to people is first start by looking in your garbage can, right? What are you throwing away? So kind of do a trash audit. And if it sounds gross, um, <laughs> get over it quickly because you made it. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. <laughs> that a, a trash audit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so look at the things you're throwing away and that, that provides a very good indication of where to start. Mm. Um, so when I did that, I realized that the majority of my waste was actually food waste mm. and then food packaging and then beauty product packaging. And so one of the first things that I actually learned how to do was compost because what I realized was about 80 to 90% of my actual garbage was food that I was throwing away. So once I composted, it provided me a really easy kind of launch pad to, to start reducing my waste in other ways. So through making my own beauty products and um, shopping using reusable containers and at the farmer's market instead of at your typical uh, supermarket. But, you know, there are so many things that you can do that one can do that, that doesn't cost any money that literally involves no effort except for being proactive in certain situations. And that includes, you know, going to a bar and when you order your drink saying, you know, I'd like a whatever martini but no skewer please or you know none of the plastic stuff that goes into a drink or no straw if you go into a store you know um saying no plastic bag and just carrying what you buy or taking it a step further and even bringing your own bag um you know saying no to plastic forks and knives using a reusable mug um really really simple steps that anyone pretty much could take if you have the ability to take those steps um to reduce waste and uh, it doesn't have to be complicated. And, and what most people think when they think about a zero waste lifestyle is that it's exclusionarily difficult or exclusionarily expensive, but it actually couldn't be further from the truth. When I started living this lifestyle, I was a college student. I was 21. I was lazy and kind of still consider myself to be very lazy. And so I, I always think if I can do this, anyone can do this. Um, it's just a series of small changes that add up over time to make a positive impact. Yeah, and I love the idea of doing a food audit and then working out sort of what are the major sources of waste in your life. Mm. And composting is something probably many of us can do, whether it's through a community composting program or in our own backyard. Yeah, I think composting is something that people, A, aren't that familiar with, and B, you know, if you live in a city, where do you do it? And Mm. Lauren, I don't know if you can offer some advice on this. What I've found is that there is composting in most places. You just have to know where to look. I think composting is like the sexiest thing ever. Mm. Um, It's just amazing because to me, composting is one of the most respectful things that you can do to give back to the land. It's it's amazing to me that there are chefs and restaurants that care so deeply about ingredients, but don't compost. How can you take from the land and take from the soil and not offer anything back? You know, as Yost had mentioned we're depleting our soil health so much. And that's because of not, it's because of a lot of things, but one of them being not contributing nutrients back into the soil and composting, especially on an individual level is something that um, 
such a respectful thing to do if you if you care about the integrity of what you're eating and the land that you're eating it from, as well as the people that are working on that land, because pesticides in farming is one of the biggest threats to human health for people working on farms. And actually, um, cotton farmers, for instance, have one of the highest rates of suicide because of all the pesticides that are used in that industry. So, mm. so composting is really a great way to mitigate the amount of pesticides that are that are necessary and synthetic fertilizers that are necessary to, to keep soils healthy. I love the idea of how simple that is as well. It's about taking small steps, it's not about going from hero to zero. But for every, you know, for every cup or kilogram of food waste that you can try and avoid or compost, that has such flow-on benefits. It's, you know, as you said before, Hazel, it's reducing water loss, uh, it's carbon dioxide that doesn't go into the air, it's food that doesn't have to be transported, it's it's also money back in your pocket. Mm. And and definitely, mm-hmm. you know, composting is a great first step. But Yost, I want to come back to you because it's not about just composting the food that we do waste, but it's actually about wasting less food in the first place. And as someone who is a waste crusader, as well as a chef, as well as an architect, as well as a florist and a whole bunch of other things, what are some practical tips for us at home to actually reduce food ending up going to waste in the first place. I think the biggest problem is that we're so society today is so far removed from our food system. And if you think about it, human beings from ninety nine point nine percent of the time that we've been on planet Earth, we have our food system has been where we are. We're we're in it. We're living in it. You know, we're surrounded by it. For the last hundred years we have removed ourselves completely from the food system. So that means that we have also become totally disconnected from seasonality, from what the weather is doing, what the climate is doing, what uh, rainfall. But I think the biggest problem is actually that we've disconnected completely from our food source. And I love some of the science that's now coming out that's showing that, you know, we need to, we need to connect with soil biology. We need to have the microflora that exists in the air when we're surrounded by, by plants. And that's where I, what I say to people. I mean, I know people that have got apartments that have got, you know, tiny apartments and have said to me, oh, my God, I've, uh, yeah, it's amazing how much I can actually grow. And I think just starting to grow, even if you decide to grow one thing, it's amazing how much that then starts to connect you with food. And once you understand how something is grown and once you start growing, you become really, uh, uh, it's a life changing moment. And then you start to understand the importance of saving, you know, composting and, and, uh, making sure that nothing's wasted. So we're going to wrap up the episode now. Before we go, we'd love to go back to speak to Lauren for a second Lauren, for people at home, what practical steps can they take in their everyday life to reduce food waste? So for me, when it comes to reducing food waste, the biggest thing is preparation. And what that looks like for me is taking a look at my week, looking at my calendar, um, you know, first of all, keeping a good calendar so you understand what your week is going to look like. When you go grocery shopping, aligning what you're buying with what your week actually looks like, especially if you're a busy person. Um, because the most expensive and the most unsustainable food is the food we throw away, right? So yeah. making sure you're buying only in alignment with, with what your schedule allows you to consume and then making and buying food, especially for me as someone living on my own, um, food that if I do kind of 
mess up my scheduling and my planning, I can quickly make something and put it in the freezer so that I can save it and eat it later, that I don't have to throw it away or compost it. The last thing I think we have to touch on is the fact that not all food waste is created equal and some types of food waste have a much larger impact on the environment around us. And of course, I'm talking about meat. Mm. So when it comes to meat, you know, the evidence is quite clear. We need to, in many parts of the world, probably the parts where you and I are from in particular, we need to be eating dramatically less red meat. We need to be eating better quality meat, but we also need to be wasting none. You know, such a huge amount of energy and resources goes into producing every gram of, of meat. It's going to be crucial that we reduce or even eliminate meat waste. What can we do with those last scraps? And in particular, I'd love to throw to Yoast, what do we do with the bones? Because I know that's something that's very dear to your heart. Yeah, it frustrates me that you've got countries like Australia that have, at the moment, our population in Victoria of deer, which are causing huge damage, like they're just destroying native forests. It's, it has gone in five years from one million to eight million, and yet our state government can't, it won't allow, you know, they send shooters in to shoot them, and these animals are just lying on the ground rotting. Yet we're farming cows for meat. It's it's madness, you know. We've got these wild animals where you could solve one problem, and this doesn't this doesn't just occur in Australia. Every uh, you can go to Brazil, you can go to uh, America. There are pests almost everywhere, but because legislation doesn't allow for the consumption of wild meat, it you know it doesn't it doesn't allow for the problem to be solved. Yeah, that's that's something that really annoys me. And then what also frustrates me is why we aren't using what I believe is actually the most valuable part of the animal to create these incredible broths that make food so much more delicious and complex as well. We've totally lost that tradition of cooking as well. And it's good to see that now places are starting to adopt, you know, broth-based, proper broth-based food and using these parts of the animal. Whereas, you know, I used to just get them for nothing from restaurants because it was just being thrown out. Yeah, absolutely. So Hazel, I want to also turn the microphone to you. I mean, what advice, what practical advice do you have as the food medic for people at home to be able to reduce not only the food lost on the farm, great ideas like Oddbox, but also food waste in our own homes? Yeah, I mean, there's like an astonishing fact that here in the UK, we throw away, I think it's 24 million slices of bread per day. Oh my God which just is just one kind of piece of the puzzle of the amount of food that we're wasting. And I think, like Emily just said, using the freezer is one way that we could reduce that. So if you buy a loaf of bread, slice half of it, put half of it in the freezer and keep half of it out, because you're not going to eat a whole loaf if you're just one or two people um, in the next few days, and it keeps it fresh. I would say also be really smart when it comes to grocery shopping. Think about what you have in your house before you go out and buy. I think... It's so common to see most people when they come home from work to pop into the supermarket because they want to buy something delicious for dinner, but you probably have so much food there. And it may be that you need one ingredient, but you probably don't need another pack of pasta or rice. It's it's just so common. Like I said, using your freezer and cooking in bulk is another way of reducing the amount of waste you have. So making things like stews and curries that you can mm. batch cook and like portions of eight, keep some of it in the fridge, freeze the rest of it. And I think also when it comes to your fruits and vegetables, don't be afraid to use as much of the fruit and vegetable as possible. I see so many people like throwing away bits that you can eat um, 
peeling things that you can eat, like when it comes to butternut squash, for example, mm. you can use the entire butternut squash apart from the stalk. Mm. You know, roast it with the skin on. You can remove the membrane from the pips and then roast the seeds. And again, if you're not like if you're a novice in the kitchen, look it up on YouTube. <laughs> like the internet is your friend. Or ask me or Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Really, truly, thank you so much for making the time. You guys are superstars and we love what you guys are doing. I love what you do as well. We need to get it out there. We need to get the word out there. Agreed. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.